Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at, at Dogwood Church. And uh, man, it's been awesome this morning already, hasn't it? Uh, thank you, worship team, for uh, leading us uh, to worship God through song. We appreciate that very much. It's been uh, great this morning. Now, uh, there's a lot of good things about living in 2018, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of good things about living in... The answer to that question, if you were, like, asleep, is yes, there's a lot of good things about living in 2018. One of the things is most of us carry around in our pockets these little things called cell phones that help us to stay in contact with people, right? There's all kinds of stuff that these little things help us do. I mean, 25 years ago, I couldn't have... I'm sure there was people who did imagine it, because otherwise we wouldn't have these today. I couldn't have imagined what we can do with those things. Here's how, like, dumb I was when I was growing up. When I was a senior in high school uh, here at McIntosh, I got a job at um, Eckerd Drugstore. Now, for those of you guys that are younger than I am, Eckerd Drug is Rite Aid, basically, okay? Um, Mike O'Kelly, who's a member of our church, was the, the manager of that store. I learned a lot from Mike about how to lead and how to serve and, and how to do a job well. So, Mike, if you're in the service, thank you uh, for teaching me all of that. But I remember one day uh, working the front counter cash register. And uh, it was, I love doing that. That was fun. Um, and the assistant manager, we were talking, and this lady's named Lynn, and she goes, hey, I've got to go back to the office to work on email. And I, you know, I was in high school. I couldn't, like, let on to the fact that I didn't know what something was. And so when she said email, this was my reply to her. Well, have fun doing your Eckerd mail. And she just kind of looked at me. And walked on back to the office, and I, I saw that she kind of looked at me funnily. I didn't really pick up on why that was funny. I was like, okay, so I keep doing my job, and months pass. I start school at Georgia State University. And uh, when, when you started back then, you had to take a computer class. And so I get into this computer class, which funnily, they didn't have computers in the classroom. It was more like a textbook kind of a thing. But one day, they did march us down to the computer labs at Georgia State. And the teacher said, I'm going to help you set up your email accounts. Now, now I had learned a little bit um, of just how not to look dumb. And so this is what I thought, not what I said. But here's literally what I thought. Why is Georgia State using Eckerd Mail? <laughs> right? I mean, it made no sense to me. And then a few minutes later, she goes, okay, your email address, John, is going to be jwarnock at gsu.edu, and I think there was a number attached to it. And I'm still going, this makes no sense to me. Why is Georgia State and Eckerd working together? And finally, she, in conversation, she then doesn't use just email. She uses the word electronic mail. And I went, oh, yeah. There's a lot of good things about living in 2018. Those younger than me, you're going, what? How dumb were you? I'm telling you. Growing up, we didn't know what the internet was, right? Um, we, we just didn't. But there's a lot of good things about 2018. There's some tough things about living in 2018. Yes? The answer to that question is yes also. There's some tough stuff about living in 2018. We are pressed by our society now to try to, 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 to live and do things in a way that are counter to how God has asked us or called us to do and live. Happens all the time in our society, happens in our government, happens in our school. Schools teach what schools are teaching. And by the way, let me go ahead on record and say, I love our school systems. Without our school systems, we wouldn't be where we are today. But in part, what it is teaching is anti 
Christian. We even have laws now that are beginning to surface throughout the nation that make it hard for followers of Christ to live out their faith, or at least to live by their faith. Followers of Christ in the business world are even getting shamed because they're trying to to lead their business and do their business in a way that honors Christ and stays true to what Scripture says. Now, side note, sometimes Christians are weird. I'm not advocating that we as Christians be weird in how we live. I am advocating that we as Christians should live by what Scripture tells us to live by. All right, we're going to talk some about what that actually ends up looking like. But I also want you to know this shouldn't be a surprise to you. If all of a sudden you're waking up and you're going, man, it stinks to live in America today because we're being pressured to do all of these things, let me remind you of a couple of things. One, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now, does anybody know when Romans was written? I don't remember the year either. It was a long time ago, all right? 2,000 years ago was when Romans was written. And And Paul, the author, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's a lot that we can learn from that passage of Scripture. But the thing I want you to note is that being persecuted for being a follower of Christ isn't anything new. It's not new to, to uh, that may be new to you, but it's not new. It's not new. Even if you go back into the Old Testament and you begin to study the people of God then, the Israelites... They were pressured by people to, dis, to, to, to not follow what God had said to live and go other ways. All right? That, that's, that's, that's gone on since sin entered the world. It's not new. Now, we're in a series this July called Unshakable. And during this series, we're going to explore together how we can make sure that our faith doesn't waver during tough times of life or Today, when the world is trying to pressure us to be and do and live ways that aren't God-honoring, how do we handle all of that? We're going to be learning these lessons all throughout this month from a, from a guy named Daniel from the Old Testament. Now, last week, Pastor Chad helped get this series started, and he helped us to see that God has a plan for us, that is being worked around us and worked in us and through us. And he helped us to see that we can thrive during times of stress, not just survive. And the reason we can thrive, not just survive, is because our God is unshakable. Not because we are unshakable. We, quite frankly, are very shakable. When our faith is in God and when we stand on him, that is when we become unshakable as well. Now today, we're going to study how do we stand firm when we're faced with peer pressure and how to handle when our faith is questioned or belittled. Now I want to take a side note here for just a second and tell you, today is not going to be an apologetics lesson. Some of you guys who know what that is, basically a defense answering questions. We don't have time for that this morning. Up on the screen is going to be a resource for you. There's a number of books that I'm recommending or that we're recommending that if you've got questions or how do you answer certain things, you can go ahead and put that up. Um, How do you answer certain things? This is a list of some of the resources that are out there that can help you. You can take your nifty technology, your smartphone. You can take a picture of that so you don't even have to write it down. Those are some good books that will help you answer some of the questions that you may face that people have. Today, I'm really more, what I want to talk with us about and learn from Daniel is more about our heart. How do we survive when these kinds of things happen? 
Because we, we can fill you all kinds of head knowledge to how, to how do you answer questions that people have. But we've got to also make sure that we're worried about our hearts and that we don't waver. All right, so those are some resources that you can use. Again, it's not an exhaustive list. There are some other great resources out there. If you know what they are, you can email us. That's fine. But this, I, I couldn't put you know, 27,000 resources on this screen and let you read it, right? That would have been um, way too small. So these are some. There's a whole lot of other ones that are out there that we can help you find uh, if you want. Now, <clears throat> before we dig in, let me do a very quick recap of what's going on in the book of Daniel and what is happening here. There's a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar, and I can't say that word right, but just know he was the Babylonian king. And they had conquered Israel. They had taken about 25% of the Israelites hostage because they were looking for the best and the brightest to indoctrinate into the Babylonian way, to make them good, loyal Babylonian subjects. So that those good, loyal Babylonian subjects could basically become the servants in the king's court. That's what they were looking for. Now Daniel, he's one of these guys that's picked to go through this three to four year indoctrination process. He was given new clothes, a new language, new habits, a new religion is what they were trying to get him to have. They, <coughs> excuse me, they even gave him a new name. His new name was based on a Babylonian god. In other words, they were really trying to take this idea of following the one true God away from Daniel and indoctrinate him into this other thought and belief system. They were even trying to get Daniel to eat a new diet. Because again, the whole process was designed to indoctrinate Daniel and follow this new mold for the Israelites because of the Babylonians that had overtaken them. Now, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5, it says that the king ordered them to eat the food and wine served from the king's table. Now, most of us would go, okay, well, that sounds like probably a pretty good deal. The king was probably eating pretty well, right? The problem with it was, it was a, those, those things that they were being fed was against what God had told the people of God, the Israelites, to eat. Those, those menus didn't line up well. And Daniel knew it, and Daniel resolved not to defile himself. What does it mean to defile yourself? It means to corrupt or pollute or contaminate. Daniel saw much of what was happening to him as was going to be something that was against God. And he knew that to give in to those demands were going to corrupt him. So with this as the backdrop of our story for today, I want us to learn from Daniel how to handle things when we're pressured to do or say things that go against what God has taught, and, and when our faith is belittled. I want to pray for us first, so will you join me in praying? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this real story of Daniel and how, through him, you modeled for us a faith and obedience to you. That even in the face of certain punishment, he withstood and honored you with his words and with his choices and with his life. Father, we ask that you would help us to learn to love you like Daniel did. Help us to live our lives like Daniel did. In a way that doesn't defile who we are as followers of you. In a way <coughs> that brings you honor and glory. May we worship you well today. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
I want us to first look at some qualities then. Some qualities that God will de- that, that we can develop in us and that God will develop in us if we allow him to when the world and when society is pressuring us. Because here's the thing. I know some of you might be thinking to yourselves, I mean, isn't peer pressure just something what our students deal with? Isn't that something what, what I dealt with when I was in high school? And the answer to that is no. We all deal with certain kinds of peer pressure, even as adults. It's the reason why when we tell fish stories, our fishes are always bigger, right, than what they really were. So uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I got to, got to fish in Yellowstone. Uh, and it was awesome. We had never been fly fishing before. And we got to go down this little bitty stream and catch these fish. Now, let me set this story up for you just right. We had never been fly fishing before. And my youngest son is kind of the first one to learn. The guide says he's the youngest and we'll teach him first. Luke catches three fish in less than 15 minutes. Okay? Now, they were about eight inches long, which is okay. And the guy goes, man, that's the biggest fish I've seen come out of this, this little stream or this little creek or river. And so I'm going, okay, I got this, no problem. Five hours later, I'm still, I hadn't caught a thing. And so I'm there at this one little section of, of the creek at this point. And Luke walks up and he goes, Dad, I think you got a fish. And I was like, shut up, son. You don't know what you're talking about. I would know if I have a fish. And so I, if you've ever been fly fishing before, you know you got to yank it up you know, and set your fly back down so it'll float down the river, right? So as I yank it up, I see a little flash of silver. And I went, oh my gosh, I caught something. And as it's going up over my head, the hook releases because it's a barbless hook. You have to catch and release. And this fish flies 30 yards behind me. All right, now let me show you a picture of my fish. This first one that comes up. It's massive. <laughs> Look at that. Now, now we did that intentionally because if you put an image closer to this camera, it looks bigger than it is. <laughs> Let me show you the real picture of this fish. It's the next slide here. Man. <laughs> that thing is tiny. I mean, even the little, you see that line that's right in front of his face? That's a piece of grass. That tells you how small this thing was. All right? Now, if we weren't in church and I wasn't preaching, I would have only showed you the first picture. I'm just kidding. But, but we do that, right? I know okay, you're thinking, okay, silly, ha-ha, fish, fish stories. But the reality is we're all pressured to do things and say things to be able to fit in. Sometimes in business, maybe, we're pressured by someone to pad our numbers a little bit, to make our sales look a little bit better, so that investors are a little bit happier, Right? I mean, and in case you think I'm totally crazy on this, why do you think companies spend millions of dollars hiring athletes to, hire, to, to wear their shoes on a commercial or drive their cars? It's because they know we look at those and they, we go, ah, if I get that pair of shoes, I'm going to run fast like Bo Jackson did. Some of y'all don't know who that is, but don't worry about it. Look him up. He was fast. And if you wore shoes like him, you could run like him. No, we can't do that, right? But we have this... We have this this pressure on us to do and conform. So how do, what are we going to do? Well, I want to give you four qualities that we can learn from Daniel. And then we'll look at four principles that will help us as well. But here's the first quality. It's this, that we can learn from Daniel. It's to have integrity. The first quality that will help you in standing firm is have integrity. Here's integrity defined. It means this. It's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. From a Christian standpoint, 
It means living a life where Jesus is showing in and through your actions. That's integrity. Daniel modeled that for us. As Daniel was going through the three to four year indoctrination program, he never forgot who he was. Now while they changed his name, they gave him a new place to live, and they gave him new clothes, Daniel still worshipped the one true God. Daniel still worshipped the one true God. He didn't give up that, because that's who he was, was a follower of God. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, Scripture says the other administrators grew jealous of Daniel because as Daniel followed the one true God, God blessed Daniel, and Daniel had lots of success. And they grew, they grew jealous of him. And they convinced the king to throw Daniel into the lion's den simply because Daniel worshipped God. Now, that's a different story for a different day. But Dan, here's the thing for us. Daniel kept knowing who he was and whose he was. He was a follower of God. He had integrity. So our first step on learning how do we figure out to navigate life during peer pressure and when our faith is belittled is that we have to develop this kind of integrity as well. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a follower of Jesus and to choose to stay true to that, allowing him to live in us and through us. But there's a second quality that we can learn from Daniel, and it's this. It's discipline. Discipline. Discipline for Daniel looked like being able to control himself with his ego and his appetite. He didn't eat what was set before him, and he didn't allow allow his ego to get in his way. You see, Daniel was actually one of the best and the brightest of the Israelites, according to Scripture. And it gave him the opportunity to kind of rub elbows with the power brokers of Babylon. Which for a lot of us, when we get to like hang out with kind of powerful people, kind of changes us a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, when we hit status of things, it changes us a little bit. We sometimes start to feel like, ah, we're better than somebody else. Now, years ago, I was our, our missions pastor here. And I had the opportunity to travel around the world a good bit and, and to, to help share God's love with people. Right? That was a good thing. In that process, I hit silver status. Some of y'all are jealous of that. Others y'all are going, psh, silver status. That means nothing. You're right. Out of Atlanta, it means nothing. It didn't do anything for me. But I remember coming home. For those of you guys that don't know, I'm talking about Delta Sky Miles, right? right? Delta, we love you. Other airlines, we love you too. Um, just in case. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, I remember coming home, we're in like New York City, LaGuardia, somewhere up in that area, and we're getting ready to, um, to get on the plane, and a massive thunderstorm rolls through, and it shuts the entire airport down. Now, the one thing Silver Status did for me, at least in my head, is I tried to get on the plane a little bit quicker than everybody else, right? That's what you do. So I was close to the gate agent, because I was ready to get on that plane. Well, this guy comes walking up, and... There's a, there's, remember, there's a massive thunderstorm that has shut the entire airport down. And, and I got to hear this exchange between this, the gate agent and this man. So the man says, hey, listen, I'm ready to get on my plane and go. And the gate agent says, sorry, sir, the planes are grounded right now. We're not doing that. And he goes, do you know who I am? And she went, no. And I'm looking at him like, maybe he's somebody famous. I'm going to get to see what's going on here. And he says his name, which meant nothing because the lady goes, I don't know who you are. It meant nothing to me either. And um, then he proceeded to say, 
I'm like quadruple diamond, platinum, blah, blah, blah. And you're supposed to make me happy. And so let me on this plane and take me home because you're supposed to make me happy. And I'm sitting there going, you are crazy. Your status does not affect the weather, right? I mean, it doesn't. In his head, though, he thought that somebody was supposed to make him happy because of his status. I know, you, I know we're all going, Psh, we would never do something like that, but we do stuff like that. Maybe not that crazy. He was having a bad day, obviously. But maybe not that crazy. But Daniel didn't let his status go to his head, and neither should we. He didn't allow his status to change who he was. Here's something you should write down. I should have put this on, on the screen. I didn't, but here's what you should write this down. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 13, followed by 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Romans 6, 13 says this, Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given a new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Now you follow that with 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says this, You might say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is helpful. You might say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't only think of your own good. Listen, in America, we as followers of Christ have been blessed to be in this country. Compared to the rest of the world standards, most of us have it pretty easy. I've been to the dirt hut in in Kenya. I've been to the grass straw hut in Thailand where you sleep on a straw mat and where you met people that literally were trying to figure out where their next little tiny bowl of rice was going to come from. Now, I'm not saying that, that some of us don't have it hard, but in general... Most of us have been blessed, and we cannot let our status go to our heads. We've got to remain true and live like Daniel did on a daily basis, submitting our lives and will to God and allowing Him to live in us and through us. So we have to do. There's a third quality that we can learn from Daniel in handling peer pressure, and it's this. It's have courage. Have courage. There were a lot of Jewish folks that were going through this same indoctrination process. The exact same thing that Daniel was going through. And apparently most of them didn't have trouble eating the food that was set before them. For whatever reason, (coughs) excuse me again, I'm sorry. For whatever reason, they felt like it was okay. Daniel could have said, Everybody is doing it, so I'm going to as well. He could have said, everybody's cheating on their taxes, so I'm going to as well. That's what he could have said. He didn't, though. He had courage to not go along with the majority and say, no, I'm not going to do that. It takes guts to stand up against the majority, doesn't it? It took guts when you were in middle school and high school and you were sitting at the cafeteria table and people were talking about stuff that shouldn't be talking about and laughing about stuff that shouldn't be laughed about. It took guts to either remove yourself from that or ask them to change the subject. It takes guts as a parent and as an adult to do the same thing today. 
the lesson for us is this, is that the majority is often wrong. The majority is often wrong. Only God gets to decide what is right and wrong. Here's the deal. You and I, actually, let me, let me change that. I am a terrible judge of what is good and, and evil. I'm a terrible judge of that, of what is right and wrong. Without some outside source, without scripture, I'm a bad judge of that. Because here's the honest truth. If you present me with a situation with, without Christ and without scripture, you present me with a situation, I'll think of it through a lens that makes it look best for John Warnock. Right? You would do the same. If you present me with a situation that's going to do something where I can make a choice that will make it better or easier for my kids, what are we going to do? We're going to make a choice that makes it better and easier for my kids, even if it's not the right choice. Right? We all have that in us. At least I think we do. We're all full of bias. We all have been, um, we all are jaded by our life circumstances. Only God is good at deciding what is right and wrong. Only God is. This past February, a few of us had a chance to go to Rwanda to learn about how to, a new way to do missions of a church partnering with all of the churches. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. All of the churches in a country to help a country to be transformed. Now, if you know anything about the history of Rwanda, again, young folks, you may not remember this. I vaguely remember this because it happened when I was in high school. There was the Rwandan genocide that happened in the mid-late 90s. Remember that? And here's what happened. There were a million people that were killed in the span of a hundred days in the country of Rwanda. A million people in the span of a hundred days. We got to visit a couple of the sites where the genocide happened. The first, let me show you the first one on the screen here. This is a church where part of the genocide happened. What would happen is, is the government officials, the mayors of towns, they would spread the word out to the community and they would say, hey, listen, everybody, y'all come to this church or y'all come to the soccer stadium and you'll be protected. And they would stay there for about a day and then the people would come over and it actually was an excuse to get them there to make it easier to kill a whole lot of people. Now, zoom in for me, uh, if you would, on the next slide. Do you see where it says never again? If you look really closely in those windows, can you see that those are skulls that are there? Those are skulls of the people who died at that church. I, and Carmen, you might remember at this church. Was it 10,000 people? I can't 8,000 people? I don't remember. Yeah, it was about 10,000 or so people died in the walls of that church. And we heard that story while we were there. Now listen, here's the other thing we heard while we were there. The majority of the population of Rwanda sat back and watched that happen. Now I want to be clear. It wasn't that the majority of the population did the killing. But the majority of the population sat back and watched it happen. Unless we blame all the Rwandans, actually, if you look back at the history of it, most of the world sat back and watched it happen. Listen, followers of Christ, we can't let that kind of stuff happen. We shouldn't let that kind of stuff happen. And I know that's an extreme example. Hey, listen, we need to stand for what is right. But listen, the majority of people in Rwanda and around the world were okay with it. And by okay, I mean I'm saying they let it happen. Internally, they may have not have been okay with it, but they were okay with it because they let it happen. We can't do that, y'all. Again, I know extreme example where it would, would have taken some big courage, but, but what, about, what about for all of us here where we have opportunities to share Christ with people? 
and, and the opportunity to talk about some of these hard cultural issues that we're dealing with. And we shy away from talking about what Scripture says because we don't want to offend somebody. That takes courage to talk with people and to share. Now, I'm not saying being a jerk as you're sharing. Don't be a jerk. Matter of fact, if you're going to be a jerk about it, don't. But with love, we should share. Exodus chapter 23, verse 2 says very clearly and instructs followers of God, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. So I don't care if the rest of America says a particular, whatever it is, is okay or not. If it's against the word of God, do you know what we as followers of Christ have to do? We have to have courage and follow the word of God anyway. There's a fourth quality that we can learn from Daniel, and it's this. It's humility. Humility. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we see that Daniel pitched a fit, and he got all of his friends together, and they created signs, and they started protesting. Didn't he? No, that's not what he did. When Daniel was asked to eat the food that was going to defile himself, he didn't throw a fit. He went to the chief of staff, the boss, the guy who was in charge of him, and he said to the chief of staff, Hey, listen. What you're asking me to eat is actually against what I believe. How about we run a trial here for just a little bit? And he says to the chief of staff, listen, you give me just vegetables and water for just a little bit, and you see what happens. And the chief of staff said, all right, well, that seems like a reasonable deal. And Daniel even said, after a couple of days, if we're not as healthy or in better shape as everybody else, we'll go back to eating the king's food. That seems reasonable, right? Now, how did Daniel get to have the favor with the chief of staff that way? Because Daniel was a person of integrity. You see, Daniel lived an authentic life in front of people, and he did what he said he was going to do. And so when he went before the chief of staff, he was able to negotiate a little bit. And the chief of staff gave him an opportunity. Daniel was humble about following God. He wasn't a jerk about it. We have to have that same mentality we have to have that same habit in our life, in our lives, of being somewhat of good, of somewhat of good reputation, and being a good leader, and a good servant. Now we've looked at four qualities that God can develop in us, and that we can develop in ourselves that will help us to handle peer pressure. But I want to give you now, very, very, very quickly, four principles that will help make all of that happen. You see, here's, here's one of the other things that you, you need to know, if you don't already. Our education system, top to bottom now, is pushing this idea of secular humanism. Now, they may not call it that, but that's what they're doing. And in case you're not sure what secular humanism is, it is basically this. It is a belief that mankind is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without God. All right? Now, to be sure, my kids go to school here in the public school system. I'm not saying pull them all out. I'm not saying Christian education is bad. I'm not making any of those kinds of statements today. All I'm saying to you is, is that there is an agenda that is out there that is in the system. And they're, and, and, and they're trying to get people to see or believe that Christianity is very, very narrow-minded and intolerant. And that's an agenda that is happening. So how do we handle things when it's that way? And when laws are being passed that are that way, what do we do? Well, there's four things that we can do, four principles to live by. Number one, decide in advance to stand for God. 
<coughs> decide in advance to stand for God. The best time to decide how to handle any problem is to decide before the problem gets to you. We can't foresee all problems, but here's what I do know is we're going to have them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. So at the very beginning, what we have to do is have Jesus as our foundation of what we believe and how we're to live. We have to start there. And when we do start there, when we're pressured by these other things, or when our, the society is trying to get us to believe something different, we can always go back to and say, no, I'm starting with what God says. I'm starting there. That is where I'm going to originate from. So we start with God. The second thing that we can do is this, is that we can study and fall in love with the pages of Scripture. We need to study and fall in love with the pages of Scripture, y'all. This is one of the best ways, if not the best way, that we get to know about who God is. Like I told you, I'm, a, I'm terrible at deciding on what's right and wrong when it's just up to me. I'm terrible at deciding that the best way to live when it's just up to me. And when we study God's word, it gives us wisdom. It gives us perspective on who God is and how we are to live. One author says that we are to steep ourselves in the Bible. Steeping means to soak. It's what we do with tea leaves when we're trying to make a great cup of tea. We let our tea leaves steep in there so that we can get the best flavor from those leaves, right? When we read and we study God's word, we are to steep ourselves in it and we are to fall in love with the pages of scripture. Joshua 1.8 says this to us. Joshua 1.8 says, Study this book of the law continually. Meditate on it day and night so you may be sure to obey all that is written in it. Only then will you succeed. Listen, we can't go away from the pages of scripture. We've got to study them and we've got to fall in love with them. There's a third principle that we can live by and it's this. Choose to have believers as your best friends. Choose believers as your best friends. Now, to be sure, you are supposed to have people that are close to you as well that aren't believers, right? You're supposed to be friends with everybody. As a follower of Christ, you need to be friends with everybody. How else are you going to share Christ with people unless you know them, right? How else are you going to tell other people about the love of God? Because what's not very effective is going and standing on the street corner in our society today and throwing tracks at people, right? That's not very effective today, at least in our culture. What is effective is, is being an authentic follower of Christ and loving people. All right, so we should do that. But those that are closest to you, your best friends, those that you spend most of your time with, they need to be believers as well. People that will help you to stand strong in your faith. Now, this is a silly illustration too, but if I was to call somebody up here and say, hey, listen, is it easier for you to pull me off the stage or for me to pull you up? What's the answer to that question? It's easier for you to pull me down. Unless I chose four-year-olds, right? Now, I'm probably, I'm pretty capable. I could probably pick up a four-year-old, but most everybody else in here can pull me off the stage. Why? Because there's this thing called gravity that's pulling me down. When we make our closest friends people that are far from God, it is way easier for them to pull us down. So here's what works at Dogwood. One of the ways that you can have great friends, and, and what I'm talking about here, is to get involved in a life group. Get involved in a life group and let them become your best friends, 
Learn to do life with them where you will celebrate and be celebrated, where you will mourn and be mourned, where you will go through life together. There's a fourth principle that I want you to remember. It's this. God will reward you. If you read on in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, God is speaking to Daniel and he says this to him. He says, as for you, Go your way until the end. You will rest, and in the end of days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. What God is talking to Daniel about here is because Daniel was a follower of the one true God, that he was going to be in heaven one day. And that is a huge reward. Now listen, if you missed the series a couple of weeks ago that Pastor, did on, that Pastor Keith did on heaven, I encourage you to go back. It was the first and second Sunday of June. Listen to those. It gives us a perspective of heaven. But know this. No matter how hard it gets on this side of eternity, no matter what kind of laws are passed, no matter what kind of mold society is trying to press us in, and no matter how hard it gets to stand for God's truth, there is a reward at the end. And that changes or should change our, our perspective for those of us that are followers of Christ. Because we know that it is going to be better one day. It is going to be better than one day. Now listen, as we've gone through and we've looked at these qualities, the qualities of integrity, of discipline, of courage and humility, and as we've looked at these principles very quickly of deciding in advance to stand for God, falling in love with Scripture, to, to having believers as your best friends and remembering God's reward for us, all of those are really meaningless unless you know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a follower of Christ. You see, all of these things actually we can't do on our own. We can't make these things happen. We can't will these qualities and principles to be in our lives. We actually need God to develop them in us. And the only way God develops them in us is if we are a follower of Christ. And so I want to make sure uh, that, you have, that you have a relationship with Christ. Because these stats say in a crowd this size, even if you've been in church your entire life, in a crowd this size... There's some that don't have that relationship with Christ. And you've heard these qualities and principles and you're like, okay, those sound good. I want those in my life. Let me just tell you again, it starts with God. It starts with Jesus having a relationship with him. So let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And if this morning you have realized that for the first time that you need a relationship with Jesus, then in your own words, let me invite you to pray something like this. And let me just tell you, God's not concerned about you getting these words just right. God is concerned about what's going on inside of you. And so, if you want to enter into a relationship with God and become a follower of Christ, tell something like, like this to God. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life, God, to be my leader. In other words, God, I'm giving you control. Be my boss of who I am and show me how to live. God, I'm also asking you to be my forgiver. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for choosing to go my own way. Be my savior, Lord. Now listen, the Bible says that if you prayed something like that, again, it's not magic incantation prayers. If you got the words just wrong, it's fine. God's concerned about what's inside of you. If you prayed that, the Bible says that you are a brand new creation as of now. And you get to have life to the fullest here on earth. And you get to share in that reward that we talked about very briefly just a few moments ago. 
Now listen, if you, if you prayed that, I want to ask you to let us know about that. On the back of your communication card that you had in your bulletin, there's a box that you can check that says, Today, for the first time, I'm becoming a follower of Christ. Let us know about it because our church exists to help you on the journey of growing in your love for God. Father God, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity that you've given us to worship you, the opportunity you've given us to study your word together. And so I pray today, God, that you would, you would help us. God, help us to live a life like Daniel did with the qualities that he had and living by the principles that he did. Father, thanks for loving us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.